When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Hey everybody, it's Matthew Collar here. We're talking Vikings football five days a week on Purple Daily, available on Apple, Spotify, and the Score North app, or wherever you find your podcasts. And look, if you're tight on time right now and you can only listen to one segment from today's show, here it is. The Seattle Seahawks have traded the 32nd pick to the Minnesota Vikings. With the 32nd pick in the 2014 NFL Draft, the Minnesota Vikings select... Teddy Bridgewater, quarterback, Louisville. Uh, Our friend Eric Eager, who joins the show now for Pro Football Focus, made a very interesting point on Twitter about late first-round quarterbacks and how Teddy Bridgewater is one of the few who has actually become good, Eric. Usually if we see somebody drop into the middle late first round, and it does happen, and you know, middle first round is sort of your Aaron Rodgers area, so everyone can pick out one that worked out well. But the majority is they turn into Brady Quinns. Yeah, I mean, the Browns did such a great job with that, with that sort of maneuver. <laughs> yes. You know, with Brady Quinn, uh, I'm trying to think of that, Brandon Whedon, and then uh, yeah. Johnny Manziel uh, three straight times. So maybe it's just the Browns uh, are the confounding variable. But, <laughs> uh, you know, the Christian Ponder, uh, EJ Manuel, just basically once the, the market has sort of picked the top, you know, few quarterbacks, uh, you know, there's not a whole reaching for the Jordan Love of the rest. Uh, ha- has proven not to be particularly fruitful uh, in-, in past drafts. Yeah, it's remarkable how much more success you would have taking someone in the second round and hoping for your Jimmy Garoppolo or even your Derek Carr, who I don't think is thought of as being a huge success, but when someone signs a, a second quarterback contract and is with a franchise for a long time, I mean, that's about what you can hope for when you draft someone in the second round. Even Andy Dalton, like, yeah, Andy Dalton is not going to go into the Hall of Fame, but he led his team to the playoffs for five years. That's a pretty good second round draft pick uh, as compared to, say, like you mentioned, Brandon Wee. Uh, by the way, this is part of our 36 Hours of Purple presented by Dennis Kirk and the Canopy Group. And Jonathan told me in the break that I'm on at 8 and not 9 tomorrow. And that was... That is correct. That was a lot. Um, and I'll also be on from 6, <laughs> six, six to eight, six to 8 tonight with Rami, too, that we're going to continue this going on. So it'll be all purple all the time. Um, so, Eric, let's uh, first, before we get into crazy draft scenarios... You have to give a grade to my draft sim here that didn't go super well. Um, people are hammering me on Twitter, but when I do one I, and I want to write about it and make it my final draft sim, I got to stick with what I get. So I used Pro Football Focus Mock Draft Simulator, and I ended up trading down with Seattle, coincidentally. 
and uh, getting 25 and 27 and picking up the 64th pick. So I got Jeff Gladney, the corner from TCU, Cesar Ruiz, the guard slash center from Michigan, Lynn Bowden, the receiver from Kentucky, Terrell Burgess, safety from Utah, assuming Anthony Harris trade here. And then, uh, you know, after that, I mean, Whatever. It's just a bunch of guys that I thought might have some sort of ceiling. But for those first four picks, how poorly did I do? Well, you know, I think Gladney's a, a pretty good, uh, you know, prospect. Um, you know, so that, you know, they, they're not going to go wrong there. The, the hard part is, you know, and then you go with Burgess, who I think is a decent safety prospect. The, the hard part to swallow about that is the Vikings still need more players in the secondary, even yeah. after you go after those two guys. And then, so to me, that's where like the interior uh, is sort of, you know, when you go with Ruiz, I get, that's like the, probably the part where I'm a little bit uh, bearish on it. It's just that, you know, interior linemen struggle from day one. And so, you know, we've seen that with Alpine, we've seen that with Bradbury. And so to address a need with that position, it's very rare that you're going to get somebody like a Quentin Nelson who's good right away. Um, so, you know, if if I knew, and you know, you being the GM of the Vikings in that case, if I knew you you were going to be in it for the long haul in this season, you know, you'd be content with seven and nine, six and ten, and and you know, Ruiz is for the long run. I'm more of a fan of a pick like that because you know, just the hit rate early on linemen is so small, and I think this is particularly a Vikings draft where they need to hit on some players now yeah. to save a yeah. lot of jobs, and I just don't see interior. The closer they are, a player is to the ball, especially on the offense, the harder it is to adjust. Yeah, and I agree with that. My only thinking was that, uh, you know, when we do the positional value thing, that for a quarterback who is consistently sacked and pressured by people rushing up the middle, you have to improve that. And right now, I look at the Vikings roster and see no guards. Like, are they going to stick with Pat Elfline and have him continue to be a screen door for Zadarius Smith? They cut Josh Klein, which was kind of stunning considering that he's a proven veteran and was, you know, below average, but not a complete train wreck last year. So now they have Brett Jones, Dakota Dozier, just replacement level players. Like at some point you have to, as Rick Spielman and the Vikings find a guard who can play football in the NFL in the Mike Zimmer Mm -hmm. era. And so, you know, I'm looking at Denzel Mims was on the board. I get that. I think he's a little risky. T Higgins. I'm not overly blown away by his athleticism. You worry about if, if there's a real ceiling there. And so it was kind of one of those where I was surprised that there weren't as many great players there for me. I could have taken another corner. Is it nuts to go uh, Jalen Johnson and Jeff Gladney or AJ Terrell and Jeff Gladney? It might not be. No, I mean, those, there are some players at the back end of the first round that I think fit exactly what Zimmer wants to do defensively in that they have some length. They've played against top competition. Uh, even, you know, he's fallen because of his, you know, combine. But Cameron Dantzler was a very good coverage player in the SEC, and he's big and athletic, and, you know, you know he didn't run a good 40, but he's going to be somebody, I think, that will fit into Zimmer's scheme. But, no, I mean, the thing about the defense, and you know they they sort of uh, dodged the bullet like this in the in the uh, or the wild card round, but the the injuries that you have to your secondary just cripple you, and, and it's it's less about getting brilliance back there than it is about throwing numbers at the problem. And the issue with the Vikings is not only do they not have brilliance at corner anymore, they don't have numbers. Uh, right. And I think the the bottom half of the first round is in this draft specifically could really help them solve that problem. So I have no issue with that. You know, 
Obviously, they need receiver help, and and you know, but you know, they need a lot of help. But I think wide receiver and corner would be you know where positions where if they took two in the first round, I would not bat an eyelash. Yeah, yeah, no, I I agree with you there, and I thought about it, and then I decided to go with the guard because I just have reached the peak of frustration of having people <laughs> walk through the interior of the offensive line and just yeah. sack Kirk Cousins, and this is where I I would give Kirk Cousins this that many times he's dropping back and there's some giant human being in his lap in, in 1.5 seconds, and I know you guys have a stat for this for how quick you get sacked uh, under 2.5 seconds, but it's got to be a lot from the interior maybe more than any other team with Kirk Cousins where he just drops back and the guy's right there and so I'm looking at the best guard in the entire draft like okay well give me give me that guy here but you know of course then it sort of screws me up later because there's a couple of decent tackle prospects at 58 and then I'm saying well I already took an offensive lineman and so you know the the thing about drafting is because you only get one shot at it and you sort of do the best you can at the time there are a lot of drafts where I could see inside of draft rooms they get done and go, what just happened there? Like that was not that was not how this was supposed to go. This was not how we mocked it, and now we feel really bad about this draft. <laughs> I would be surprised if the smarter teams are not like that in the sense that you know I think that probably the the less smart teams come out of every draft thinking we got everybody we wanted right and like and. and Whereas, you know, I think that it, this might be folklore. I, I, I actually think it's true, though, is that some teams, New England, for example, just, you know, they only get to know intimately maybe 30 guys. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why they trade back so often because, you know, maybe three or four players from a particular tier get drafted right away and they're stuck and they're like, well, we only have a certain number of players we know really well. And you move back where, and that's, to me, I think might be a better. You know, you get a ton of different opinions on a couple players yep. and you get a better consensus than trying to have a million opinions on a million players, which is why maybe some of the less smart teams come out of the draft and say, we got all these great players. Well, by this time, we can convince, I can convince you any player in the draft is good at this point. And I can convince you any player yes. sucks at this point. And, you know, that, but I agree with you. I think like we do only get one shot and there are a ton of missed opportunities that are sometimes not your fault. And you can probably come out of it a little bit less than thrilled with yourself, uh, depending upon the circumstance. So let me ask you before we get into crazy, wild possibilities, philosophically speaking, how should we do this? How should we grade a draft right after the draft? Because, it's, you know, there's the famous stories of Travis Frederick pick is just demolished by everyone. And the guy becomes a borderline Hall of Famer. And Russell Wilson, why are you drafting him? Why are you drafting Kirk Cousins in Washington when you just drafted RG3? You're so crazy. And then, you know, he's your starting quarterback a couple of years later. So if I do this draft... And you're saying to me, uh, I don't know why you drafted interior lineman at 27, and you know maybe your wide receiver doesn't know how to run routes and that sort of thing. Um, but how should we really do this? Because I, I get this note sometimes from people that say, well, look, we can't really analyze it for a couple of years, but we don't even do that either. We don't even go back and go, you know that Danny Isadora pick in 2017, what were they thinking? So, so how do we right. do it? What's the right way to do it right after it happens? Well, I think it's it's 100% wrong to go back, you know, to say you have to wait five years for it to work out because because the Tom Brady pick, for example, you know, it's whatever at 199. Everybody has the same opinion, and it's sort of, you know, we're all working with the same information, and it's sort of how you 
sort of synthesizes that I think at this time, you know, sort of determines whether or not you made a good draft, uh, made a good draft, a draft full of picks. So for me, what it would be would be, and, and some people have done this really well, like we're, you know, with our mock draft sim, we're collecting data sort of on what everybody's done. Uh, and, you know, uh, there's a person named Benjamin Robinson who has a website called Grinding the Mocks who sort of <laughs> does the same thing. But it's kind of like draftblaster.com. Uh, that's like great. The, but, uh, you know, the, the, the thing about it is, is like, it doesn't matter if Cleveland Farrell ends up being a Hall of Famer. The Raiders took him 15 picks too early last year. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and so we can, we can sort of look at that in real time and say, yeah, like, this is about allocating capital efficiently. And if you take the fourth overall pick and draft the 15th or 16th or 17th best player there, that's being that's not being good at this, right? Or uh, if you take Jordan Love with the tenth overall pick, that's not being good. And there's a number of different ways you can look at that. The betting markets, I think, are pretty good at saying, okay, this guy's expected draft position is this. But I, I think it's just basically like, did you draft players when they were expected to be drafted? Did you draft them after, before? Uh, it, kind of the deals that you get. Right. Yeah. No. That, and I always think about like the logic at the time. Like, what was your logic? So the Russell Wilson pick. Was your logic that maybe Matt Flynn might not be a great quarterback, so you should try on somebody else who dropped past everyone and had amazing production and is a great athlete? Like, that seems good logic to me in the third round. I don't know how you criticize that one. Um, you know, the, so it's a lot easier to justify, you know, some of those picks that have worked out and surprised everyone when you go back and look. And then there are other ones that surprise you and you say, well, I wouldn't have done that at the time, but the guy worked out like you're laying out there. I mean, it worked out, but it's still, um, it was a little bit of a goofy selection when they took him. I mean, and there are ones, even in hindsight, that are super hard to decide. Like, what, what do we grade the Delvin Cook pick? Like, I don't know. I mean, he's a, a really good running back. I mean, one of the best in terms of talent in the league. But if you're three years into a running back and he's gained 2,100 yards, like, I can't give you an A-plus. And that's not your fault. But also, you drafted a running back in a historic class in the second round when you had other needs. Like, there's so many things that sort of go through my mind of trying to evaluate these picks, whether it's right after they happen or even three or four years later. Yeah, it's really hard. I remember at the time, I think it was even, uh, your colleague Phil, you know, you know, messaged me. He's like, what do you think of the Dalvin Cook pick? And I was like, well, I, I'm not a fan of trading up for a running back. Uh, you know, and, and I think a lot of people are saying, well, he was 20th on the Vikings board. And so that you get him at 41 or wherever they got him. It's like, yeah, but like that's, you know, you kind of have to split the difference a little bit there. And, and Cook's been great. And, and again, like you just said when you were, when you were on the stage earlier, it's not about drafting great players necessarily. It's about drafting players that help you win. And right. as great as Dalvin Cook has been, that team was two and two when he tore his ACL in 2017 and finished the season 11 and one. So, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, he's a terrific running back, but it's, it's unclear to me that he's moved the needle from a win loss perspective for the Vikings. And as such, like, as we're sitting here looking at the team now where he's like the, you know, the one superstar left on the team. Uh, and they, I don't project them to be particularly good. Was it a great pick? Probably not. Uh, all right, let's talk about craziness then, Eric. Um, it all starts with Tua and what's going to happen yep. with Tua. Because if the Miami Dolphins, 
decide to select Javon Kinlaw or something at fifth with Tua on the board, then I think all hell breaks loose with people trying to call the Los Angeles Chargers to trade up. Maybe the Chargers pick them. Maybe they go Justin Herbert because they have no idea what they're doing either. I mean, this one specifically is, I think, really hard to project with the amount of talent that goes past pick 15 and i want to know who surprises us you mentioned farrell last year that was a total stunner so who can surprise us potentially in the first round this year well so there's a a a dream scenario for me as somebody who likes to see just anarchy and 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 you know at, at this time of the draft there are rumors that the dolphins are thinking about trading up to three and not for a quarterback for an offensive tackle uh there are rumors that the giants like uh, you know, Jedrick Wills at four, um, it, it, or even Tristan Wirth. So my, my favorite draft scenario is the Dolphins trading up for a tackle at three and then using the remaining picks. So some subset of 18, five, 26 and 39 to move up and get somebody like Jordan Love or Herbert, whoever falls. Uh, to me, that would be the most hilarious situation um, because it, it, in, a, in a tackle class where the current betting markets say that seven tackles are going to go in the first round, to trade a haul you've been accumulating for the past two years to get the best one when we're not even sure that that guy's the best one would show a complete and utter lack of understanding of what's going on. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that that's going to happen. I, I, is it just me, or has the Dolphins organization started to trend a little bit toward you're not completely insane? Like, just I mean, their free agent moves I thought were smart, mm-hmm. and what they did yep. with Josh Rosen, there's one where it'll always be a smart move. It didn't work out, but it was a really smart move to trade for somebody who was a top-ten pick and give up a second-rounder for him, and maybe he's your franchise quarterback after that. So I just think that they have smoke-screened like crazy here, and they still want to pick Tua. Yeah, and, and I even think, you know, this hurt their tank a little bit, but I even think cutting the cord on Rosen when it was clear that at least in that offensive structure, he wasn't capable of being productive, mm-hmm. was also smart, right? I mean, they could have, you know, they could have really ruined the kid by having him go out. I mean, Fitzpatrick wasn't a whole lot better, but he at least can operate in sort of a system where the quarterback has to be under more duress. Uh, and that was smart of them. No, I agree. I think a lot of this stuff could be just the Belichickian-ness uh, of Flores and company uh, just trying to smokescreen everything. There's also a rumor that they're going to go after Joe Tooney. Uh, the former Patriot or the current Patriots guard who's currently under the franchise tag, uh, you know, this, this year. So I, I think that they make the right choice. I do think that there's a pretty good chance that a team trades up for Tua, um, even up to pick two. Uh, and, uh, I think a lot of this, this, this stuff about Herbert, I know you guys talked about, uh, him kind of comping to Josh Allen. I like that. I like also a, a comp to, uh, basically Brady Quinn. Uh, I think two is head and shoulders above above him, and I think people right now who are talking about Herbert above him are just trying to push people off the scent. Is it possible to make an effective Jalen Hurts comp? Because, you know, I don't want to go with someone who looks like Jalen Hurts in terms of stature and say, oh, he could be Dak Prescott, because Dak Prescott was a way better thrower. What is it like, Vince mm-hmm. Young, maybe? I mean, someone, he's not in stature similar at all, but a really, really plus runner who had great success in college, but when it came to the X's and O's parts of playing the game and making the right reads and on time and everything else was just not really effective at that at all. 
Well, you know, we talked about this, I think, when uh, we were doing the text analytics. And, and if you go to PFF.com, there's an article about it. But basically looking at what people were writing about Deshaun Watson coming out of yeah. college uh, and what they're writing currently uh, about Jalen Hurts, there's a lot of similarities. I mean, Her, uh, Hurts is tough mentally, both mentally and physically. I mean, he lost a starting job uh, at Alabama. He went to a team last year. They were the most efficient offense in college football. Uh, you know, people talked about Watson's processing speed and the fact that he invites pressure and that he, he hangs onto the ball too long. And that's all the things that people said about Hurts. People didn't even like Deshaun Watson's arm strength. I know our friend Ethan Young, who's very, very good at this, he dinged Watson significantly in that draft class mm-hmm. because he didn't have, uh, you know, a cannon for an arm. Hurts kind of similar as well. Now, I think Watson, and we, we have the gift of seeing Watson for two and a half years in the NFL, I think he is a more polished passer. But, but it's interesting to, say, to, you know, to see that and to say, okay, well, if this guy gets into a, a, an offense like that, I can totally see something, you know, Prescott being, you know, Prescott's a fourth-round pick, right? That, I think Hurts goes before that. I think, I think it's fair to compare him to some of these lesser thought-of quarterbacks, given that, you know, there, it, it, Jordan Love couldn't move the ball last year. Justin Herbert couldn't move the ball last year. At least mm-hmm. Jalen Hurts could move the ball at the college level uh, for multiple teams for multiple seasons. Yeah, it's really amazing the the difference of opinions on the middle quarterbacks that some people have. Like you said, Jordan Love really high and right up there with Tua, and and, and other people have Jordan Love as their seventh or eighth quarterback on the board. And the same thing goes with Jalen Hurts, where I would still put him number three on my list, even though I I don't think that it's a high chance he becomes Deshaun Watson. Um, but I I like the chance that he becomes somebody like a, a decent backup that goes in and, and can win you some games or something something like that in terms of his floor because he's just got something else there that you can win with with his ability to move. So um, we've had everybody, Eric, come on and give their players that they like. Like your your sort of, I don't know, I don't want to call it draft crush because that's weird, but you know where you look at them and say, there's a really high chance this guy succeeds. I want you to give me the first-round prospect who doesn't in, in, in your mind, who you look at and go, nah, not going to happen, all the red flags, and don't use Herbert because that one's like too obvious with a quarterback. Give me somebody yeah. else that just has that you just either can't believe as a first-rounder or you think, no, nah, this ain't going to work. Um, that's, a, that's a really good – I would go with Derek Brown of Auburn. Mm. Um, I think that he is a player who – 15 years ago when we were just starting to see three fours come out again and they at you wanted sort of a, a an end or a nose tackle that could eat up space uh he would be fine i think now with teams playing so much nickel you're three tech five tech all and to me like i'm not saying he's shamar stefan but you could get in a situation where he's a decent run defender a great run defender but he offers you nothing uh you know sort of as a pass rusher yeah. and i think if you take that that sort of player early in in the draft uh, you're going to be extremely disappointed i i'm not a huge fan of javon kinlaw but at least he can rush the passer and, and generate some heat uh and, and in a in a draft where the, i in my opinion there's only one edge player that's worthy of a top 15 top 20 pick i think some teams who are 
trying to build on the defensive line are going to overdraft Derek Brown, overdraft Yvonne Kinlaw. Yeah, no, I think that that's uh, that's uh, definitely a good selection. And when we talk about the Vikings' need on the defensive line, there just aren't guys there who are worth it in the first round, which makes me think we will be seeing tackle wide receiver corner. Uh, Eric, your contributions during draft season have been invaluable. I hope you guys have a great time on Pro Football Focus with all of your coverage, and people should listen to the PFF Forecast podcast. Is there anything else you would like to promote? Well, I know you guys are doing, uh, you know, 36 hours. It's pretty cool. Uh, you know, this, it's been a trying time. Uh, and I'm glad, you know, Vikings fans get to listen to such great content. Um, if you want to come over to PFF, you know, we're doing a, you know, basically a, like a happy hour and about a half hour on, on YouTube with, uh, Collinsworth and some of my other colleagues. And then tomorrow and Friday, we do have a draft show, which will be on YouTube. And I think all those tubes basically will be on. So. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's been a fun draft season, a lot of fun just to hang out and talk, uh, prospects and, uh, you know, hopefully we get to see them play this fall. Chris Collinsworth, humble brag there, I think. Uh, <laughs> all, right. all right, Eric. Well, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you again soon. I am sure to break down everything that has happened on draft night. We'll, uh, talk to you later, man. Thanks. Take care. Eric Eager, follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Eric. And we will talk to another Eric next, Eric Edholm who works for Yahoo Sports, to break down what is going on with Tua and his takes on the directions that the Vikings could go. Trade-ups, trade-downs. Rick Spielman left the door open for pretty much anything when he talked to the media yesterday. We'll do that when we come back. 36 Hours of Purple, presented by Dennis Kirk and the Canopy Group. The South Dakota Stories, Volume 1. She was a city girl, but always somewhere else in her head. Somewhere where bison roam, rivers flow, and people get their hiking boots dirty. Like, actually dirty. So one day she fled west and discovered this place of beauty, history, and a delicious taste of adventure. But before she knew it, she was driving away with memories to share and the hopes of returning. Because there's so much South Dakota, so little time. If you own a small to medium-sized business that kept employees on payroll through COVID, you may have a big cash refund waiting for you. The Employee Retention Credit is a tax credit of up to $26,000 per employee. And now, more businesses than ever qualify. The experts at RefundsPro.com specialize in cutting through the red tape of qualifying for this government program. Most of their refunds are over $100,000. Even businesses that have received PPP funds may be eligible. And there are absolutely no fees unless you receive a refund. So there's no reason not to apply. If your business experienced shutdowns, limited capacity, supply chain challenges, or reduced revenue due to COVID, you likely qualify. RefundsPro.com has already helped hundreds of businesses. So don't lose the refund you're owed by missing the deadline. Get started today with a free 5-minute questionnaire at RefundsPro.com. That's Refunds with an S, Pro.com.